but we're going to continue our study through taming the tongue. And we're going to talk about these sins of the tongue that we all deal with. Things that um, really, no matter what age you are, no matter what background you are, I think all of these can hit us home if, if we're really listening and paying attention this morning. I, I want to ask you this. How many of you would raise your hand and agree this morning? We're talking about lying. How many of you, as you look back on the last 24 hours, would say, Pastor Mike, I have to admit, I've probably told a lie in the last 24 hours. If that's you, raise your hand. I've probably told a lie in the last 24 hours. If the person next to you didn't raise their hand, look at them and say, you've just told your first lie for this 24 hours. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe you didn't. Maybe God will bring up some things even as we kind of think about this sin of lying. But here's what studies say. Studies say that the average person lies four times a day. Four times a day. So actually, on average, we've all told four lies in the last 24 hours. The University of Massachusetts said that, and this is interesting to me, that 60% of people, if they have a 10-minute conversation with a stranger, they cannot make it through a 10-minute conversation with a stranger without lying. 60% of people. And that, just meeting someone, they can't get through a conversation. I love what Time Magazine said in an article about lying. They said this, and this is so true about the sin of lying. They said, on the one hand, nearly everybody condemns lying, but on the other hand, nearly all of us do it every single day. This is the one that I'm most concerned about, that when we talk about the four different issues of the tongue that we're talking about in this series, uh, we talked about complaining last week, lying, next week is gossip, the week after that, uh, that Judson's going to take care of is a lesson on criticizing. I fear that this is the one that we're most tempted to excuse ourselves from. Pastor, I know someone who's a liar, but that's not me. But the statistics show us that it is a really common sin that we struggle with. And if we understand all the different ways lying shows up in our life, I think all of us will recognize that we all have different ways we deal with this sin. Sometimes it's the person who lies outright in conversation, and there's also other ways it shows up. Now, we have to ask this question this morning. What does God think of the sin of lying? Well, Proverbs 12.22 tells us that lying lips are what? What's the next word? An abomination to the Lord. They're an abomination to the Lord. Now, we use that term sometimes, and we think of what the Bible calls an abomination, and we often think the big sins that are labeled that way, and yet, in Proverbs, it's very clear that this sin of lying, a sin that, unlike other sins, we have a, we have a way that sometimes we attach a descriptor to it, a little white lie. I don't think we would ever call anything a little white abomination, but yet that's how God views every single sin of lying. And I think perhaps the reason God hates lying is look at uh, John 8, 44, is that John 8, 44 tells us that lying makes God sick to his stomach because it's so opposite of who he is. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And, and here he describes what the characteristics are of their father, the devil. He's speaking to the Pharisees. Uh, the lusts of your father you do. He was a murderer 
and he abode not in the truth, right? He abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks it of his own. For he, the devil, is a liar and the father of it. Why is lying so sickening to God? That's what the word abomination means. It means a gut, visceral reaction. It's because it is quite literally the opposite of who God is is this morning what God's heart is for all of us is God wants you and I not to speak the native language of our father, the devil. Instead, he wants us to speak the native language of our heavenly father, the God of truth. And what I wanna show you is that this sin of lying, it develops in three different ways, kind of in three different stages. And I think all of us could probably find ourselves in one of these stages generally this morning. Here's the first way Satan wants you to speak his native language of lies. Number one, Satan wants you to tell lies to others. That's what Satan wants for you. It's not what God wants for you. He wants you to tell lies to others. And there's a variety of ways we do that, this telling of lies. The first way that shows up is that Satan wants you to twist words and exaggerate details. We call this the big fish story, right? That, my friend, is not an innocent thing. That is a language of Satan. It is dangerous because sometimes the way that this happens often, I think, is we get really emotionally involved in a situation. We're hurt. We're upset because someone else is hurt. We're passionate about a subject. And so what happens when our emotions are involved, all of a sudden, here's what happens. A stern tone that someone took with us gets slightly twisted. And when we tell that story, we say, they were yelling at me. You ever had a kid do that? My sister is yelling at me. And you were like, I didn't hear a yell. I mean, I think I'm in the same house and have pretty good working ears. Maybe a phrase that could be interpreted a couple of different ways. We interpret it in the worst possible way. And we think they had to have mean it like that. And so when we tell someone else what was said to us, we're subtly reinterpreting it. We're subtly putting our own spin on it. We're exaggerating details and twisting words. And whether we realize it or not, especially, I'd warn you if you're engaged in some sort of conflict, we can fall this temptation to twist words and exaggerate details. That's one way we tell lies. Here's the second. Satan wants you to spread lies about others. We call that slander. Slander. Spreading lies about others is slander. That's the sin of slander in the book of Proverbs. Now, we got to understand the difference between gossip and slander, okay? What is gossip? Gossip is passing along true information to the wrong person at the wrong time. Slander is passing along false information, okay? So you see the difference? Gossip, we're passing along what kind of information? True. And slander, we're passing along what kind of information? False, right? It's a, it's a lie. It's passing along false information. But so often, the sin of slander happens really subtly, Right? Now, we got to ask ourselves this question. Why does God care so much about slander and what we'll talk about next week, which is gossip? 
Why are those such a big deal? Because in our minds, and I'll talk about this a little bit more next week, gossip and slander are things that we don't even register sometimes. Are we in agreement on that? Some of y'all are like, no, I, it's not a big deal. I never, I always register it. Okay, well, we'll talk about it next week. I'm not gonna pick up that point now. Okay, we, we don't even register it sometimes, and God cares so much about it, and, and there's so many proverbs about it for a reason. The reason that God cares about slander and about gossip is this, that the Bible is very concerned and, and thinks that we have a human obligation to protect the reputation of other people who doesn't need to be sullied without reason. What does the Bible say about a reputation? It says a good name is more desirable than what? Great riches, right? And it's better, it's to be esteemed better than silver or gold. That's what Proverbs 22, one says. And so gossip and slander, the problem with those sins is they steal the great treasure of an honorable reputation. Now, how does slander show up? Because I wanna wanna challenge you and I to think about how these things can be slanderous, though our heart maybe wouldn't be intentionally trying to do that. Here's one way we slander. We pass along facts. We share facts about people or situations that are unsubstantiated. Unsubstantiated. You ever played that game telephone? Where it's just I'm listening and passing, listening and passing. And in the game of telephone, you're not allowed to go back to the source. But in real life, you are, right? So if this person says, well, this happened, they tell this person it happened, even if the chain of command is passed on clearly from the first person to the fifth, here's what happens sometimes. We don't have to think that the first person may be twisting words and exaggerating details. Maybe the first person read an article that is skewing the facts, they, they heard town gossip. That does not actually represent the situation. And so because we don't go back and not just check with them, but check with the actual source of what's going on, here's what we do. We are participating unintentionally in the sin of slander. You see what I'm saying? Let's say, okay, let's, let's workshop this. Person A says that this um, congressman Let's just put someone way far away that we, none of us really care about or know personally. This congressman did this terrible thing. Well, how do you know? Well, I read it, okay? You read it, must be accurate. It's on the internet. Everything on the internet's accurate, right? So then they tell person B, who shares it on Facebook, and person C, who shares it on Facebook, and person D, and now you're person E. I think sometimes we don't realize that that person is a human, And as Christians, we should care about other people's reputations and not be party to sharing false facts about other people. Now, sometimes it's it's not someone far away we don't care about. It's somebody who's our sister or brother in our family. And we're sharing it with this person, this person, this person, a cousin, a church member, a leader, a boss. And what happens so many times is we just take this stuff at face value. We don't check the source. And so we're sharing unsubstantiated false facts about someone else that damages their reputation. The Bible calls that slander. The Bible calls that slander. So here's what we need to recognize. Just because your friend said something doesn't mean it's true and doesn't mean you should share it. Just because you saw it on the internet doesn't mean it's true and doesn't mean you should share it, right? 
And I found this to be true about all sorts of public debates and even innocent facts, right? How many of you have ever been told, wait 30 minutes after eating to get back into the pool? You ever heard that one? That is a blatant falsehood. There's nothing true about that. But yet what happens, I'm not saying this is slander, but I'm just saying it's an example that it is quite literally permeated the culture where all of you have been told that at one point in your life, and it's never true. It was never true. Some grandma made it up because maybe she wanted her kids to chill out so she didn't have to watch her kids in the pool, you know, or a dad or something. It's probably a dad, right? And he's like, ah, you got to wait 30 minutes, you know, so I can enjoy my lunch. And, and somehow that got permeated in the culture. Here's the reality. We need to be careful not sharing information that is not substantially true. As Christians, because we serve a God of truth, we're called to be truth finders. You may say, Pastor Mike, that's that's asking a lot. Is it really asking a lot to discover what the truth is before you start talking about something? I don't think so. I think that's probably what our God of truth would want us to do. We're truth finders. We're truth tellers. And we are truth guarders. Here's the next sin of telling lies. Satan wants you to lie to cover up your sins. I think where a lot of us tell lies generally is we don't want to deal with the consequences of our bad actions, right? At least as a kid, that's when I lied a lot, and maybe as an adult, right? We, we, we tell lies generally so we can cover up our tracks because we're scared of the consequences. We, and generally, when we're dealing with sins or things that we've done wrong, most of our lies, I would say, they don't even involve other people, though that's a pretty prominent form of lying. I would say most of our lives involve ourselves. They involve ourselves. We're trying to cover up a sin or a mistake that we committed. And what the Bible says, what does the Bible say about covering sins in Psalms? It says, he that covers his sins shall not prosper. Shall not prosper, Right? Sometimes we lie because we're under the delusion that it's easier and it's better to hide our sins than to reveal them. We think the Bible's wrong. We think that those who cover their sins actually will deal with their life and have better results in their lives. But the Bible says, no, no, no. If you cover your sins, you will not prosper. It will not be profitable in the end. Here's some ways that this happens. We hide or we cover up our disdain for someone and so Proverbs talks a lot about the, the, the flattering tongue. What is a flattering tongue in Proverbs? Well, it's not saying you shouldn't compliment people. It's saying that there's a human tendency when we don't like someone, rather than just to refrain from speaking, we cover it up by saying positive stuff. Wow, you're so great. We, we love you. Knife in the back, right? Oh, yeah, you're awesome. Thank you. Really appreciate that. And then you mutter on your breath, I hate you, you know? That's flattery. That's a lie right? There's other ways that we do this. Um, We say nice things rather than addressing the feelings about someone we know they don't like. We would rather lie than own up to our sins, right? Blatant lies. I didn't say that. I didn't do that. I didn't mean it that way. I didn't know that that was wrong, right? Even though we did. Why? Because we want to soften the blow of judgment. Here's what the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9. It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's what I want to say to all of us liars, which is every one of us, to some degree or the other. 
The Bible promises you special mercy. Right? The Bible says in the same verse that says, those who cover their sins shall not prosper, says, but he that confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. You will find mercy. The Bible says, as much as you think the consequences are going to be hard when you have to be honest about your feelings, you have to be honest about your actions, you have to walk back something you said that was wrong and ask for forgiveness, as hard as that is, we have to trust that the Bible is telling the truth there, that we will find special grace and mercy when we tell the truth. Now, here's the choice that we have. When we've told a lie, we have a choice. We have the choice to confess and forsake it and experience God's special mercy, or this is where Satan brings us into the next phase. We can choose to lie in a different way. And generally, this is what happens next, not just with lying, but other sins as well. We start telling a different type of lie. Rather than telling lies to others, here's what we do. We start lying to ourselves. Maybe you've never thought about it this way, but the sin of justification of evil is lying to yourself. And that's exactly the hand Satan wants you to play into. That's exactly what he wants you to do. When you commit a sin against God and you've done something that in your spirit, as, as you listen to the Holy Spirit, he has told you is wrong, he wants you to justify it. What do I mean by justifying it? Look at the definition on the screen. Justification is fabricating an acceptable reason to remove our guilt from sin. We find an acceptable reason to remove our guilt from sin. Now, I want you to participate with me a little bit. I want us to talk specifically about lying. There's a lot of ways that we rationalize the different types of lies we've talked about, okay? What are some ways, what are some things we tell ourselves, we justify in our mind to rationalize the types of lies that we can be guilty of, to make ourselves feel better about them, to make them not seem like they're as bad? What are some things that we say to rationalize our lies? Give me some thoughts here. A little bit louder? Save an argument. Good. So that would be maybe hiding our feelings, our, our frustrations. Save an argument. Great thought. Other ones? You don't need to hold them, know the whole truth, right? We'll talk a lot about that next week. How do, we, how do we discern that? Other ones? Don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. I think that's really common. Kind of similar to Adam's, right? We just don't, we just don't want to deal with it, right? It just... It's too uncomfortable. So we'd rather just lie and cover it up. Other things. What are some ways we justify our lies? Let's, so those are good ones for like uh, flattery and different things. So let's think about someone who just tells an outright lie. Maybe they're, they're, they're covering up their tracks. What are some ways that we justify those types of lies? What are some things that people say in their head to say, you know what, yeah, I know I did it, but I lied about it, but here's how I justify it in my mind to make it okay. I was confronted by my boss. Did I, did I take that? Did I do that? Did I violate company policy? And I just deny it up and down. Here's the way I'm going to justify that in my mind. What are some things that we say to justify those kind of lies? Everyone else lies. Great. Great thought, right? And that's true. Studies show, right? <laughs> yeah. What are some other things we, we do to justify those type of lies? Wasn't a big lie, right? Yeah, the little white lie type syndrome. Any other thoughts? They'll never find out. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Right. 
Everybody else does it. Yep, absolutely, right? Uh, I wrote down, uh, my lie didn't hurt anybody. What's the big deal? I didn't hurt anybody with it. Uh, Here's the other one. By lying, I achieved a, a good end result. It worked out in the end. What's the big deal, right? And, and we justify our other sins, don't we? I mean, it's not just lying. We could like really cover a whiteboard with ways that we justify different types of sins. But why is this bad? Why is this bad that we justify and we tell ourselves lies? Because none of those things that we said are true in the sense that, yes, they may be true that everyone else lies, but they're not true in the way we're using it. Everyone else lies, therefore it's okay for me to lie. That's not true. That's false right? So why is the Bible so concerned that we don't justify our sin? Because at the heart of our justification of our sin, at the heart of us excusing our sin is this lie. I am better of a person than the Bible says I am. I am a more morally upright person than the Bible says I am. Because all of us, the reason we justify our actions is we say, at the default, I am a good person with good motives who generally does good things. Now, the Bible has a different way to chop that up, doesn't it? The Bible tells us that at our core, we are not fundamentally good. There is how many who are righteous? Oh yeah, none, right? There is how many that seek after God? Oh yeah, none, right? That's how the Bible slices it up. And so at the fundamental base of all of that justification is you and I saying, I disagree with the doctrine of original sin. I'm actually a good person with good motives who does good things 90% of the time. And yeah, maybe I mess up a little bit. No, the Bible says that you, apart from the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, you are a bad person who's fundamentally flawed, who doesn't even seek after God on your own. You actually need God's grace to even seek him, right? And so what we're doing is we're running against what the Bible says about our sin. Here's Here's what 1 John says. Maybe if you don't believe me, you can listen to John. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, time out. A lot of times when we read this verse, we say, John is thinking of a guy who quite literally saying, I have zero sin. Y'all, let's be real. I don't think that's who John is thinking of here. He is thinking of a person because the very next verse was a verse about confessing and forsaking. He's thinking of a person who refuses to admit their sin. Now, doesn't that run really closely with what the rest of the Bible says? The rest of the Bible says, in just the main grain of the New Testament, that one of the most concerning things, indicators of someone's soul, is they refuse to repent about their sin when they're confronted. I think it's because this, that someone who refuses to admit their sinfulness, they may not have the truth within them. That it is the truth within us. It is God's truth within us, the Holy Spirit, that allows us to see our own sin. And therefore, if we cannot admit our own sin, that is a concerning assessment of somebody's soul. John's real point is that this is more talking about justification of sin than someone saying, well, I haven't committed any sin in my entire life, right? Now, the Bible gives us a solution to all of this, doesn't it? How do we fight against this temptation to justify our sin? Well, the Bible gives us some tools that we need to have in our tool belt, and there's three of them. Scripture, the Holy Spirit, and other people. And we can't discount any of those three. 
We need all three. Scripture, the Holy Spirit, and other people. How do you and I fight against our justification? I wish I could spend a whole lesson on this, but I'm just going to give you a verse or a thought for each. God's word, the Bible says, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Man, something miraculous happens when God's word is preached. And this is what makes me so grateful and makes me recognize if God's word does anything, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God's word. Because the Bible is so powerful, it can point out to you and expose your own lies to yourself. It is the word of God that discerns your own thoughts and your own intents. After a whole long week of you saying, no, I'm good. I've done everything right. This is why I needed to lie. This is why I needed to do sin. The Bible is God's powerhouse tool to fight against that. Because you could tell yourselves lies all day long, but it is the word of God that cuts against it and shows you your lies to yourself. The Holy Spirit as well is a discerner of our hearts. Proverbs, I think, is looking forward to, though the Old Testament has very small glimpses of the Holy Spirit, that doctrine's more fully understood in the New Testament, but I think Proverbs 20, 27 is pointing forward to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Proverbs 20, 27 says. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching the inward parts of the belly. I love that. Doesn't it remind you of that verse in Psalms? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And yet here in Proverbs, the, the, the writer of the proverb is saying that it's the spirit of the Lord that is, is God's tool. It's like he's taking a candle and he's searching the innermost thoughts of your hearts. So we need scripture. We need the Holy Spirit. We also need other people. We need other people. This is why the church is essential. Because you can listen to 100 sermons a week and if you were not in a relationship with other Holy Spirit-filled people, you still wouldn't see some of your sin. Sin is so good at hiding itself. You can listen to 100 sermons a week, read the Bible through every week. I don't care. If you don't have other people in your life, you'll still miss it. Yes, the Bible's a mirror, but so are other people. And I found that other people are a better mirror sometimes than even my own study of the Bible. Because my flaws are so hidden to myself but they're so obvious to other people who have the Spirit of God in them. I think the best example of that is Peter. What is Peter doing? When, when Jesus talks about his journey to the cross, what does Peter do? He, he stands in front of him, and the Bible says he rebukes him to his face. Now, listen, totally wrong that he did that, but you gotta give the guy some cre credit, a little bit. I mean, to have the guts the gall to rebuke Jesus, my soul, you are really blind to your sin, but I got to give you a little bit of credit that you're that blind and you were that bold, all right? God can use some of that and he turned it around. But here's Peter and he says to Jesus, you've got the wrong idea, you've got the wrong plans. God doesn't want you to die, he wants you to live forevermore. You're the son of the living God. That's what Peter says. He rebukes Jesus to his face. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Peter thinks he's totally in the right. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. The father of lies. Peter thought he was perfectly in the right until in a moment, Jesus said, no, actually, you are speaking on behalf of Satan. 
That tells me sometimes I could be so utterly convinced I'm right. But in the light of other people, they see it better than I do. I found uh, married folks, which is pretty much everyone in here, other than teenagers. I found that my spouse is one of the best helpers in this area. One of the best helpers in this area. I I didn't realize the impact of my personality or actions nearly as much as I did when I got married. Because you're like living in a house together and your idiosyncrasies don't really um, match up, obviously. You're two different people married together. It, it, It takes a spouse to help you see those things. That's why I would encourage you spouses, and we talked about this in our last marriage series, but you need to love your spouse enough to show them the impact of their sins, the impact of their words, the impact of their actions. It's a sort of lying. If you see your husband or your wife doing things that hurt the family or hurt you, and you never say a thing about it, that's a sort of lie. We need other people. Here's the last stage. Because if, if, if we don't confront the sin of justification, here's what happens. Satan wants you to live a lie. He wants you to live a lie. And this is a fearful place to be. The Bible gives us several examples of this, but I think the two most fearful examples of hypocrisy are Achan and Ananias. You remember Achan? Not Bacon, Achan. Achan and Joshua, right? What, what did Achan do? God says, going into the, the Babylonian, or sorry, the Canaanite territory, says, don't take their stuff. It's corrupt, it's defiled, it's destined for destruction, is how the Hebrew can translate that word. And what does Achan do? He takes for himself. The story is interesting because Achan didn't just take, he hid it, right? I, I like, you know, your English teacher wouldn't like this translation, but it says he hid it among the stuff. Hey, stuff is allowed. Don't care what your English teacher tells you. You're allowed to say stuff. The Bible says stuff. So Achan hides his sin among the stuff. And what does God do? He exposes it. And what is the price Achan pays for his lies? He dies. In fact, his whole family dies. The one that's most interesting to me is Ananias. And, and it's interesting to me because we're preaching a series on money matters and on giving on Sunday mornings. And, and we know the story of Ananias. Maybe if you're here during um, our Acts series, we covered this. But he, Ananias and Sapphira weren't doing a moral sin when they got exposed necessarily. Like Achan, he did a black and white moral sin. He stole what God said not to take. But Ananias and Sapphira, what lie did they get caught in? They exaggerate how much money they donated to the church. They still gave some money. And I would suppose they gave a decent amount. Right? You remember in Acts 4, a bunch of the rich people in the church of Jerusalem, because there's some people in the church who are in abject poverty, they're selling off investments to make sure these people have food to eat. They're selling lands. Now, you listen. That's a lot of giving going on there. 
That's, that's pretty radical. We're going to talk about that next week. So they're selling off investments and properties in funding the ministry of the poor. And Ananias and Sapphira look at how Barnabas and others, you know, this is so sick. They see them bringing these gifts to the church and think, I want some of that street cred. I want some of that. I want people to look at me the way I'm looking at them. Being like, wow, what a gift. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they give some, but they exaggerate it. They act as though they gave it all, but they held back some. And what does God do? They're both struck dead. And that story in Acts is there to tell us, not necessarily if you exaggerate your donations, that God will strike you dead. Though, let's not rule out that possibility. That story is there to point out the reality that in the New Testament church, there will be people who do all the good things on the surface, and the only one who knows they're living a lie is God himself. And those who cover living a lie will not prosper. They won't prosper. A good example of someone who went through all three phases is David. He sinned with Bathsheba, and he essentially told a lie. Sent Uriah to the front, called him back, cover up his tracks. I, I suppose David justified to himself because the reality is, is that he went, most people estimate, a year before he really confessed and dealt with that private sin. So he justified it, and he lived a lie for a year. And David wrote these verses. And I hope, I want us to pray these and be done. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And listen to this verse. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Father, we come before you. Lord, too often we reflect the image of the father of lies, not our heavenly father of truth. God, I pray that we would open our hearts to you. Let you search our innermost parts. Those who've told lies, I pray your Holy Spirit would reveal that to them where they've exaggerated or slandered or covered up. Those who justify their sins to themselves and lie to themselves, I pray God your Holy Spirit would convict them of that. And those, God, who are living a double life, I pray God they would run to your mercy. They would own up to their sins and find forgiveness today. In Jesus' name, amen.